Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's so good to see you, who I can see, and I guess, hopefully it's good to be seen. My name is Pastor Mike for First Time Guests. If you're in one of our campuses, uh, or if you're in the local jail, uh, I don't know, are we back in jail yet? I, I don't even know. We're back in the jails again. Um, welcome. Before I jump into the sermon, a quick word on COVID-19, this ever-changing thing. This long, confusing thing. <laughs> We've been back meeting for, what, a month now, maybe? And I'll tell you what, we didn't know really what to expect. Um, and and, and we're, most of our, all our campuses are pretty rural, with the exception of our ANC, Allegheny North Campus, formerly known as the Freeport Campus. It's still kind of rural, though. And, and the, the mood around here, with all, all the space we have, is, is, is pretty much mask-free. So if you're at home and you haven't been here... You're wondering, it's it's. I wear a red dot, which means don't touch me, uh, which is hard for people because I'm a lovable, huggable guy, and they all want to touch me, and I get that. But <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, I I know that a lot of people still haven't returned to church, and I know that's probably a heartache for you if you're listening to me, and that's you, um, uh, because I love being back in with a group of people. I, I, it is good to be online, it's good to be able to communicate online, but God designed us to be with humans, and to be able to worship together with, with our brothers and sisters in any of the campuses is, is, is better than just doing it at home, that's second best. And, and COVID is a mess because, a lot of reasons, perhaps because no one knows who to trust anymore, frankly. No one knows who's telling the truth. No one knows which doctor is telling the truth. We had Fauci say, don't wear masks, you don't need them. Now Fauci says, don't even breathe without a mask. And, and then you have politics. You have the politics of, a, we have a Democratic governor in our state. And, and so people don't trust each other's motives. And, and I'm not saying that's good or bad reason. And then where you live and what you experience changes the way you approach this. If you live closer to the city, and maybe your experience is a job there or in health care, you're, you're you may be very careful. And if you live in the country, and, and uh, very often you're not as careful, um, you're, the news source you listen to, um, where you get your data. Um, I wish it weren't so, but our nation's institutions have done this to us. Uh, our, our, our federal government, as well as our local governments, but especially our federal, has given a lot of reasons over the past 20 years for us to wonder if they're telling us the straight scoop and what their motives are. And, uh, and the news media, well, do I have to say anything? We don't know who to trust, and people trust different sources. So as a church, what do we do? What do we do? Our, we're going to keep let's say, doing what we're doing. We're, we would love to get the kids' ministry going, and we will by the fall. Um, there's policy reasons and mandates, and we're trying to do everything by the law and still be free in Christ. Um, but I want to talk specifically to people who aren't going to church, and, and I want you to know that if you feel like you're in a higher risk or you're close to someone in a higher risk, um, that's okay. You've got to do what you've got to do. But, Two things. One, don't be alone if you're hurting or in need of something. Call, email, text. You can call me, email me, text me. And also, um, we don't know how long this is going to stretch out. So um, right now, we're talking seriously, and Monday we'll make final plans on how we can perhaps 
do some sort of uh, meeting uh, worship for those who are perhaps or feel themselves in a higher risk category personally or because of their jobs or whatnot. And, and maybe that'll be something that, that uh, you could partake in. But anyway, let's remember everybody to love one another, okay? You're, I don't go on Facebook, and I'm thankful. I just hear things, but no one's a slave to fear because they wear a mask. No one's a slave to the government because they wear a mask. <laughs> it's not a mask, it's control, you know, and all this stuff. Um, no one is, uh, wants your grandma to die because they don't wear a mask, right? No one is trying to kill you because they don't wear a mask. No one's a science denier, okay? Give your brother and sister the benefit of the doubt. Do what you do and love one another, okay? Do what you do and love one another. And pretty soon, I'm going to tell you how you can go about hugging me, which is your goal, I know. And we'll work on that. All right. Uh, let's, let's look at Romans 8. If you, oh, by the way, and that jamboree, it's going to be outdoors. You know, we were hoping this would all be over by the jamboree. That's going to be fun. It's just a couple weeks away. We're putting it together as people are coming out of their house. So our normal ability to, to say, hey, we need volunteers is sped up. We need volunteers. If you're at any of the campuses, we need your help. The, the campus pastor, actually, one of our, well, it doesn't matter who it was, he said it in such a nice way, if you'd like to help, I'd like to say it in a more desperate way, we need your help, please, sign up and help with a jamboree, okay, now, Romans 8, (laughs) it's at the Dayton Fairgrounds, that's right, Um, Romans 8, now, we're do- we took a break from Mark, and we're doing a summer series, and people are saying, don't you preach anymore, Mike, what's happening? Settle down, settle down. <laughs> I do preach, and uh, just about every other week I'll be preaching, but we have some fine men, and we're collaboratively doing the sermon series for the summer till we get back to Mark in the fall. Now, Mark is very narrative. In other words, it's storytelling, like all the Gospels are. I love preaching the Gospels better than anything because I love stories. I love telling stories. I love getting into stories. I love being characters in the stories. I like faking like I know their accents, right? It's, and, and so now we're moving to Romans 8. And it is, like all of Romans, very abstract, at least till you get to like chapter 12. Very, it's just ideas and truths put out there. And I think for that reason, some people say, well, that's not my favorite part of the Bible. Well, we're trying to make a, p- a pitch to say it is, or it can be. Why Romans 8? Because Romans, see, Paul never got to go to Rome to plant a church. He didn't plant every church in the Bible. And he wanted to. He was jealous for the gospel. He believed he was the ordained preacher to the Gentiles. And here's the capital city of the empire. And he hasn't been able to get there. He's asking God, get me there. God will get him there. How? On a, on a boat because he's a prisoner. He'll go there and he'll, he'll get to do jail ministry before he gets to that church. Um, But a church springs up and he feels responsible that they have the gospel correctly. Someone else, we don't even know who historically, we'll find out in heaven, planted the church in Rome. And and he wants to make sure they're getting the good news of Jesus Christ correct. Which is why people focus on Romans so much. The first seven chapters of Romans are the most, let's say, it's Paul's best shot 
at explaining the details of, of salvation, of, of, of just parsing it out so you'll understand what it is. Um, chapter 8 is the crescendo. Chapter 9 through 11 deals with ethnic Israel and really end times and where they're headed. And then 12 to 16 is practical stuff. But 8 is a summary or the... It's why all 1 through 7 mattered. Because it's the... Angels sing, this is where we get to heaven and everything. And, and so it's worth it. Now, if you're not... You say, well, look, we're shifting gears. We were just telling all these great stories. Now we jump into the abstract. Abstract doesn't mean boring. It, 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 it doesn't have the fun of an illustration. And it doesn't mean too complex for my brain. Uh, it, it means uh, raw truth. If, if you look in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus in the upper room starts to teach his, his apostles in the abstract. In other words, not stories, just truth, truth, truth. And one of them stops and says, finally, you're talking to us clearly. You've been telling us parables for years. Now we get it. Why didn't you always do this, right? And, and, and stories, are, your brain as a human is capable of both. <laughs> and the stories go together. So Jesus, the Gospels tell you the story of Jesus, but he taught his disciples, his apostles, a lot more. He taught them the ins and outs of salvation. And... It can't be learned except by study. So don't be afraid of study, right? I'm going to try to make it as simple and interesting as I can. Um, that's it. That was my intro to Romans. We're in chapter 8, verse 5 to 8. So if you'd open up, I want to thank Nate for getting us started on 1 to 4. Um, great to know we have a worker who is good at handling the Word of God. He's normally in India. Romans 8, 5 to 8. I'm going to read it, and we're going to break it down. You ready? If you're not a note taker, I'd encourage you to become one. Um, It's easier to listen when you take notes, even if you don't look back at them. Romans 8, 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Spirit. (laughs) Spirit. There it is. I don't know what happened there. I was 13 for a moment. Verse 6. For the... For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind, verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And as I read this just few verses, you can see what I mean by abstract. That's thick stuff. He, nothing in there is impossible to understand, but he piles it on top of each other. So we want to break it down. The first thing to note at verse 5 and 8 is there's two kinds of people. This is one of those deals where someone says there's two kinds of people in the world. I love that because it always helps my thinking. Two kinds of people in the world, men, boys and girls. <laughs> Today they say there's more, but they're wrong. There's two kinds of people in the world, people who are bald and people who ain't. There's always a way to separate. Well, this is Paul giving something more important. There's two kinds of people in the world. And if you looked at verse 5, um, th- he, he calls them this. One team is called those who live according to the flesh, team one. Those who live according to the Spirit, team two. He's talking not about a way of living. He's talking about a population. He's not saying, I live according to the flesh today. I live according to the Spirit tomorrow. I live according to the flesh the next day. No, he's not talking about a way of living. He's talking about a population, a people. Or, and so as we go through this, you know, everyone hearing me is one of those two types. 
and I'm not going to assume either one for you. Um, but I will tell you, you don't want to end the night or day or whatever time you're hearing this having been, <laughs> or if you're according to the flesh, you want to move to according to the Spirit. And movement is possible if you're worried about that. Okay, so now let's jump in with our map. Here's, here's how we're going to break it down. There's, let's look at the similarities and the differences of those who live according to the Spirit and those who live according to the flesh. Two groups of people. All right? All right, Mike. Okay, good. I'll answer my own rhetorical questions. It helps me. First similarity, and then I'll give the differences with it, is they both live in a regular body. We, what we're talking about here is not, you think someone living in the flesh could be like, like, what, like the walking dead. And someone living according to the spirit is like a whoa, ghost. Roman, Roman Daniels, that's old, isn't it? Forget it. Um, you know, an angel or something. No, no, no. They look alike. They look alike. We're talking about part of someone that you cannot see with your eyes. In other words, when you separate people into two, they don't get a special tattoo, a special mark, a golden hat. No matter what you've seen in old paintings, no gold rings around the head of the saints. That would be nice, right? You'd know right away, okay, you're saved. (laughs) That way if they act wrong, you can say, I know you're saved. You got a gold ring around your head. Why don't you just repent? And if they're not saved, I know you're behaving, but you're a hell-bound sinner and I need to talk to you. (laughs) No, you don't get that. They look exactly the same. So when we say, when Paul says according to the flesh, what does he mean? Paul uses the word flesh two ways, as, as Nate brought out last week. One is it's your flesh, it's your meat. Some of you have less meat than me. Sorry for you, eat more burgers and you will look good too. Um, it's your flesh, it's your arms, it's your legs, it's your head, it's flesh. He's not using it this way. He loves to take this word and most of the time he uses the word differently. He means by flesh... Your mortal person within, whoever that is inside your head that talks to you ever since you're a little kid, that's you. Your soul, you could call it, right? It's your soul. He uses flesh. Why would he use flesh for soul? He likes to make that distinction because it's the, it's the dead part of you. And we'll, we'll get more to that tonight and you'll get more as you go through this portion of Romans, or if you read all of Romans. So, this is, to put it another way, those who live according to the flesh, this is the normal state of man. And I use man to mean man, woman, boy, and girl. And I could adjust that for modern times, but this is a soapbox I'm going to be standing on for a long time now. And I refuse to do that, because I don't think patriarchal language is evil. So, That's a little parenthesis in case you had a problem why he said man. This is the normal state of man. This is the normal state. Every boy and girl born by nature is on team flesh. Right? They're team according to the flesh. Not because of their body. What does that mean? It means their soul is earthly. Right? Their soul is bound to the dust. Their soul has no spiritual access to God. Now, those on the other team, according to the spirit team, something different is within them, right? They look the same, but they have access to God's spirit, right? And that causes their mind, their brain, to transcend. In other words, you can... It's one thing if the only thing you know is what you learn from yourself and the earth. 
It's another thing if everything you know is what you learn from yourself, the earth, and God. And the way you learn it is not like a professor and teaches you in the college. It comes from within, through the Spirit, right? Both people look the same on the outside, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 12, it's not going to be on your screen, but if you want to take a note or even look it up, you may. I'm going to read it to you. It, it, it explains it a little more, saying this, Now we have received, we being those who believe in Jesus, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So when you become a Christian, you receive something you didn't have before. People say, well, if you deep, dig deep within, you'll find God. No, you won't. You'll find your spleen. You, you'll find sin. You won't find God. You'll find you, maybe. But you won't find God because the spirit that comes from God comes in from the outside. It's just a good principle to know in life. Human beings think their problems are outside of them. You think your problems are outside of them, don't you? Your problem isn't you. Your problem is your car broke. Your problem is you don't make enough money. Your problem is, doggone it, your family is not as bright as you thought they were. And your problem is your boss is kind of a jerk. And your problem is the person on the customer service line isn't as patient as they need. And your problem is this. And your problem is that. And you think all your problems are outside. What the Bible says is, no, those aren't your problems. Your problem comes from within. You're a mess in there. You're not a victim, you're a perp, right? (laughs) But now when you get saved, you receive the Spirit of God. And then it says, if I get the Spirit of God, what's it say? According to 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14, so that we may know things freely given to us by God. So so now the Spirit's in you, he can download data. It's like Wi-Fi to heaven, right? And then by contrast, it says, But a natural man, that's who you are regularly, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolish to him. He can't understand them. Okay, so those are the two teams. With me? Good. Let's move on. Second point here is both people from both teams set their minds on something. Look at the way he put that. He says their minds are set on death, minds set on life and peace, right? Your mind is set... Two people can look absolutely the same. The difference is the set of their brains. For the, to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So let's look at those who... We, I get the dark side, by the way. I get the dark side. In other words, we're going to look mostly at the team that's set on the flesh. I would rather look mostly on team spirit. Andy gets that next week. And I think you'll, if you haven't heard Andy, our new preacher guy, preach, you're going to enjoy it. He's very clear, very lucid, a very good scholar. He'll teach you well. But he gets the good part, and I don't. And I, don't, I set this out. I don't know how I made that mistake. But we're going to have to focus on the flesh now. So those according to the flesh, Paul says, set their mind. It's, it doesn't say set their minds on death. It says their mind on the flesh is death. Is death. So, person's born, could be you, could be me, and um, your mind is set a certain way, and it's death. What does that mean? Does that mean that the person who doesn't know Christ is walking around thinking thoughts about goth and men with 
hockey masks slashing people to death or <laughs> likes looking at roadkill and messing with the guts of animals or, 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 you know, what does it mean to have a mind set on death? You're just always in the macabre. You, you write skulls all over your body and sit and listen to Jim Morrison in the doors or, you know, my mind's on death. Ugh. No, it's not that at all. You could be Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, whoever she is. I don't know. She just sounds like a sunshiny person. No, the mind on death is not a choice. Paul does talk about setting your mind on things, but not here. (laughs) He's not talking about, it says the mind that's set on the flesh. Yes, but let me put it another way. What he's saying here when he says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. He's not saying you have a choice. He's not saying if you're born a sinner, you have a choice. I'm going to set my mind on the spirit, and now your mind's set on the spirit. I'm going to think God things. No, he's not saying that. It's more like the setting on your dryer, right? It's more like or the idol of your car, which no one knows how to set anymore because you open the hood and you can't recognize a thing. So you don't even do anything with the idol of your car. How, how many of you go, I don't even know what that is. Good, you don't even know. It's already set from the factory. The iOS or the, the Android software on your phone, you, you don't set that. It's set. It's set. You, are, <laughs> you, you have death software on your phone. That's what it means to be according to the flesh. Your mind is set that way. What does that mean? What's a mind according to the flesh? What it means is that a human being is not transcendent, thinking of the goodness of God and the greatness of God, but rather your mind, because of sin, thinks of preservation of the self first. It thinks of provision for the self first. It thinks of pleasure for the self first. It thinks of defending the honor of the self first. It thinks of exaltation of the self first. All things you might say, well, those don't sound bad. They are in, the, in, in a sinner's hand because you were made in the image of God. And you were supposed to behave as one who worships and praises God and loves others more than yourself. And yet you're completely self-obsessed. The normal life setting of the brain is on the self. It's on the flesh. And it is on death. The destiny of the brain is earthbound. It can't get off of the planet. Right? So, so human beings going through the world think they're so smart. They're just walking dead. They're walking physically dead. Because they're... If you put everyone's life on a time-lapse camera, right? You know where they take a little picture? You know what you'd see? You know you'd see a little kid go, grows up, and he starts to get old and wrinkled. Then he turns into those dudes from Raiders of the Lost Ark. They go, and then they're dust, and he blows away. Because that's really all you are is death. And your soul is dead too. So all your deeds, you go before a holy God, and he says, no, there's no life in you, and he tosses you into hell. That's your destiny. But people don't know that. There's a song by a 90s Christian rock band that none of you have heard of called The Altar Boys. And in it, there's a line that I I like. It says, there's a deadness in this world, and I know why. People look for life from things that make them die. 
And that's really the truth. That's really the truth. Uh, The natural state of man, therefore, is helplessness. You're naturally helpless. If you think, well, I'm going to be a good boy and I'm going to be a good girl and I'm going to please God. No, you're not. Well, I'm going to make something of myself and I'm going to be impressive and I'm going to be as moral as the Christians and do good deeds and I'm going to be good. No, you're not. You're, You're on the death train, baby. What can I do to get off the death train? Let's go with nothing because your mind is set on death. There's nothing you can do. Now you can strive. It, the Bible says the thinking of mankind is naturally futile. 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 Because that word can be futile with a D. This is futile with a T. What's that mean? It's a waste of your time. Right now, all the politics in the world, everyone's going off, what's going to happen? The socialists, the Marxists, this is going to happen, and over there, and the Chinese are going to take us over. All that can happen, guess what? It's all futile. Comes to nothing. It's a bunch of dead people sitting around talking about the moves on a chessboard. Really doesn't matter what you people do. Once in a while, the futility of life apart from God comes out, right? And, 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 and then they make you read books by people who figured out that life is futile and don't know God when you go to college or high school. And that's why all the books in high school and college are disgustingly wretched and horrible to read, you know. Did Phineas really have to kill his friend? You know, there you are. William Shakespeare wrote many years ago in Macbeth, Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then he's heard no more. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Jean-Paul Sartre, the philosopher, was more to the point and less poetic. He said, man is a useless passion. It is meaningless that we live. It's meaningless that we die. We like to look down on these nihilistic thinkers, on the, on the uh, Kafkas and the Nietzsche's, but you know what? They're dead right. And if you say, well, I don't care about philosophers, okay, how about Freddie Mercury? Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. I, I killed a man. I put a gun against his head, Pull the trigger, now he's dead. Nothing really matters. He's closer to truth than you think. Now, it will matter when he sees God and he finds out there is a moral being in the universe that's going to judge him, although he already knew. But he is right. In the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. This is futility. The mindset on the flesh is death. It gets nothing. Solomon described... And yet, we're, we, people think they're righteous. And yet... The big impulse of every one of us is to justify ourselves. You think, well, I, I never think that way. You don't have to. It's how you behave. It's like telling a bird doesn't have to think how to make a nest. It's just what he does. You're always justifying yourself. You're like, don't yell at me. You don't know that. I know that because you were born a natural man or a natural woman. You make me feel. <laughs> and that, that's why you fight with the people you love because they think you're wrong and they think you're not as good as you know you are. What's, what's the impulse? You don't have to guess. It's already in you. You're going to justify you because you've got to be righteous. And that's what the natural man does. Solomon explained it to us in the Bible when he said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The normal human left to the workings of his own mind 
will never gain goodness and never gain life. The reason? (laughs) Paul told us. The mindset on the flesh is against God. Back in Romans 5, Paul wrote this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who is that one man? Adam. Adam, the father of us all. You have his DNA. If Adam were to do a 23andMe and put it up there and you did one, you'd go, hey, he's my grandpa. That's right. And death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. We walk around naturally in bodies that seem to be alive, but we are the walking dead. The walking dead is no near, not near as creepy as those guys on the TV show. Sometimes it looks pretty good, right? When, I was, when my wife was the walking dead at like 20, dang, she looked good. She looked very alive. I mean, she still looks good. But the walking dead can really look good. But you're still dead within. Now, here I get to give you a little bit of light because he also says, back in verse 6, he said, set, for to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So I get to tell you that the other team, they have a different setting on their dryer. <laughs> they have a different setting on their, right? It says their mind is, is set to life and peace. Your mind is set to death. Their mind is set to whoa, life and peace. People, well, who are these people? Okay, in the plainest language, I can give you fancy language, right? Those are those who are regenerate because they place their faith in Jesus who atoned for their sins and rescued them um, from the punishment that was coming their way. Or I could just say it in plain language. These folks got saved. These are human beings, natural, death-bound humans who God interrupts their life and goes, boom, now you're on my team. God rescues those on that team through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Jesus died to remove the sin nature, the flesh. In other words, this invisible thing that is you that Paul calls the flesh, somehow when Jesus died, it was a substitute and my flesh was up there too. Boom, dead. So my sins are taken away and that allows the Holy Spirit to come into me. Jesus died to remove your sin. If you're a Christian here, you need to know this is true. Because sometimes the devil doesn't want you to know. In other words, lies help the devil. The less you know about yourself in Christ, the worse of a Christian you're going to be. The more you're going to stumble, the less joy you'll have. So you need to know this. You may not realize this. You've been made righteous by Christ. You're as righteous as Jesus is righteous right now. Well, I've sinned. I know. And that was your old nature. But Jesus Christ died for that. And the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, lives inside of you now. So you look just like you look. You say, well, I looked like a slob before I got saved. You still look like a slob. But in your inner man, something beautiful is happening. Right? New creatures, same organs. Right? (laughs) Um, As the Bible says in Ephesians 2, you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is much different than we naturally think, isn't it? We naturally think, well, I got saved, but I wasn't that bad. Oh, I mean, I wasn't like shooting up heroin or a pimp or a prostitute or a drug dealer. Oh, so you were pretty good. And God said, they're pretty good, but I'll get them over the top. Oh, no, no, no. 
(laughs) You were spiritual roadkill of your own doing. (laughs) You were wicked. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. It's through with Christ. If you've been dead and made alive, what did you do to make yourself alive? Now you might want to say, well, I believed. No, really, you did nothing. Dead people don't make themselves alive. Like, let's say you got a, let's say a a dead groundhog in your backyard, which I do. Me and the dogs cornered it. Max used to be able to get him himself. He cornered it, and and I used a twenty-two, and the two of us teamed up, and then Max took it. And now, Max, that's my dog, not my brother. I do have a brother named Max, but he did not kill a groundhog in the backyard, though he might. He might, if he could. Say you got a dead groundhog in the backyard, and you walk up to it, and (laughs) say, it, it says to itself, I don't want to be dead. And it pops up and runs away. What are the odds? That's not going to happen. And you know who else can't do it? I can't. Make a Frankenstein, you know, <laughs> gopher. Love me. I can't do it either. The only way that groundhog comes back to life is if the giver of life says, groundhog, get up. Which he won't. I don't think. He might. God could do that. Same it is with your soul. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. The maker has to change. The most ordinary person externally who's a Christian, treat that person with respect. Because when you see who they really are, when you get to the end of Romans 8, in the end of your life, and the Lord returns, you'll realize that was a very honorable person because they have God in them. Heavenly life within. And now now the mind is no longer on futility, but on life and peace and hope. More good news on that next week. (laughs) Now back to Paul, Paul, or, or, or who he gives us. Paul turns to a closer examination here, first of those according to the flesh. So let's look again. Verse 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Like, I I understand all that, but i got to think that through. Okay, let's think it together. Here's a description of the mindset on the flesh. Let's take the parts out. The mindset on the flesh, it it says first, well, it doesn't say first, but it says in there, cannot submit to God's law. That's in verse 7. See that? Cannot submit to God's law. The startling condition of all mankind is rebellion against the one who's perfect. Now, most people, and I mean most people, even most people who go to church, would tell you that man is basically good, right? That's what they say. Man's basically good. I believe in human nature. <laughs> Humans aren't all bad. There's just a few bad eggs, right? There's a few bad eggs out there. Um, it, it's the old Far Side comic where the guy has God in his kitchen, and of course it's not God, it's a comic, but he's got a long beard, and he's making the world in a pan, and he's, he's sprinkling a a bottle called Jerks. And he goes, this should make things interesting. <laughs> and I think that's how we think it is. God just sprinkled some jerks in the world. No, no, no. No, no, no. He made everything perfect. Mankind fell into sin, and he let us procreate. It's like, it, what if you found a cockroach? And you knew it was, there was just two. Say a mommy cockroach and a daddy cockroach. But they hadn't had any babies yet. In your house. All right. What do you do with them? You kill them. It doesn't matter what you have to do because they're going to get behind the walls and you're going to have a lot of cockroaches. So you squish them, 
just raid them. You do something. You set them on fire. These are cockroaches, for goodness sake. But let's say, instead of that, you go, you two have at it. What will happen? You'll get a house filled with cockroaches. God saw those he made in his image fall into sin, become his enemies, and he said, you two have at it. When the sin got so bad, he says, my righteousness has to do something, and he drowned everybody except those in a boat. He said, you eight people have at it. Now, you might say, well, that metaphor makes it look like we're all a bunch of cockroaches. If the antenna fit, spiritually dead, people don't like that view of God. See, the Christians mess up people. They don't know what to do with a true Christian truth. Because they say, when you hear that, they say, you people are too negative on mankind. You call us all sinners and we're basically good. And then we tell them how we're all going to be glorified and go to heaven. And then they say, mankind isn't going to get to heaven. That's pie in the sky. That's too high for them. They want to live in the mediocre, apparently. Well, we don't live in the mediocre. We're extreme. Man is not basically good. Here's what God says. Back in Romans 3, Paul wrote this. For we have already charged it all, both Jews and Greeks. And you fall into the category of Greek unless your name here is Cohen or Epstein. All are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. How many? Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And you say, well, prove it. The proof is everywhere. Let's call it history. Or we could call the daily news. Or I could just point to you. It's the easiest thing to prove in the world. But since we're all justifying ourselves, no one wants to admit it. Well, I'm not as bad as him. Who says you aren't? We don't always see the evil within man or ourselves. Law and order keep it hidden, don't they? What happens in cities when law and order breaks down? People set things on fire, shoot little boys in it, or was it a little girl in a Wendy's parking lot? That's what they do. You say, well, those are just bad. No, that's you. You're capable of that, right? (laughs) We just saw it. Once lawlessness comes in, people are rioting and stealing and violence and killing, and a lot of it from suburban white college kids who seem so nice. And then the rest of the people go out and buy guns so they can shoot those people. This is the state of mankind, and we don't even notice. Leave us to our own. We'll just all kill each other and think we're right. They will think they're right, and they will think they're right. We're Cain and Abel. You want to come down hard on Cain? You are Cain. Well, not Cain. Look, war and death are always just beneath the surface for mankind. You don't got to scratch hard to get them going. All sins are just an inch under the surface in your life, aren't they? Aren't they? You're an inch away from almost any sin, aren't you? The foolishness 
of mankind is thinking that mankind is not the problem. See, this is why communism and socialism are of the devil. People say, that's political. I'm not being political. As you know, I have a lot of chances to talk politics. Everyone can figure out where I stand just listening to me. And sometimes I'm wrong about politics. I don't know about that. But I do know that communism and socialism are evil because they're based first on atheism. But then they're based on the idea that mankind is not evil that the way, reason people misbehave is because their society takes the blank slate that is you and I and causes them to. If we could get rid of all the inequities in society, mankind would not do evil. Well, it's never worked, has it? And it never will. Because <laughs> that nice person that you think is going to run your good society, he looks nice on the outside, but he's got a huge cockroach soul on the end. And that's you. It's natural, says Paul, for you to set aside God's law when it suits you. Those people who do that sin, they're awful, aren't they? But when you do it, I have my reasons. Second thing to note about those who are according to the flesh is they cannot please God. If you travel the world or travel history, you'll see, see that people are always trying to please God. They're always trying to please God or the spiritual. No one's not spiritual. They bow to monkeys. <laughs> I've seen it. They, they make trips from Japan or anywhere in a country to get to where the Buddhists are and they'll walk around the Buddhas and meditate. <laughs> they'll... They'll try to be good boys and girls. They'll give to the United Way. They'll be nice to their sister. Anything they can to please God. But Paul says very clearly in this verse, those, verse 8, who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's an impossibility. Now some people in the world will say, well, that's not fair. I didn't ask to be made a sinner. I didn't ask to be born at all. You can't blame me for having a wicked soul. If I didn't ask to be here, it's God's fault. How can God hold me accountable for being this way when I had nothing to do with it? If my mind was already set that way, it's not my fault. The answer to that is really? Really? That's your answer? Who are you to tell God what is fair? That's like getting lectured to by a black widow. Your mind, you whose mind is twisted towards self-exaltation. You say, no, I'm more kind than that. Listen, I see people get divorced who love each other and are trying. And then all of a sudden they hate each other. Why? Because when push comes to shove, it's about me and you're the enemy. That's in you. You're twisted in your mind naturally. You don't think of the righteousness of God. You have no access to God's spirit. You're finite, you're sinful, and would you instruct God who is perfect and good and holy? Who are you to even tell God you're doing it wrong? You don't even know that. It's the kindness of God that he tells us we're sinners at all. Third thing that we can pull out of here is Paul says that the mind, those with the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
So it's not passive. The natural state of God, of man, excuse me, is to hate and oppose God. People say, well, I don't. You Christians do what you do, and I'm going to do what I do, but hey, I'm cool with God. No, you're actually hostile. How can that be, they say? I may not be a Christian, but I don't hate God. I never thought I hated God. I don't even listen to Marilyn Manson records. I, records. They were like a vinyl plate that you scratch noise out of. Forget it. What God is saying in the Bible is you are hostile to God like a snake is to an eagle. Because eagles will pick up snakes and carry them off and eat them. And snakes are hostile towards them. By nature, you want God gone. Jesus comes over to visit you, but you're on your way to do something you know he wouldn't approve of. You say, Jesus, it's been nice talking, but how about you move on? What would he do if he didn't? He'd say, I'm going to have to nail you to a cross because I'm going to sin. <laughs> Every sin you ever commit is an insult to God. It's a hostile act in word, thought, or deed. Anything. And the smallest one, you keep a... Listen, the holiness of God... I, Can I say he's so holy? I mean, add the word so to holy. The angels who who are without sin up there fly around singing holy, holy, holy. I guess they're trying to add an adjective to holy to make it more holy. And the only one they can think of is holy. The smallest sin is an affront to him. That could be hard for us to imagine. Because we're always the good guy in our own story, right? Well, try imagining this. Try imagining a beautiful home. You know the one I mean, the perfect one. You saw it once, or you imagined it, or you put it together in your head. This ain't stuff Chip and JoJo ever fixed up. This is the home on the perfect land with the perfect whatever should be behind the house and the most beautiful rooms in the house. And it is more than you would have ever done because it's got everything gilded with gold that you can gild. And everything is perfect and grand piano and and. And, and the food and the decoration, it's beautiful, it's perfect. And it just so happens that the person who owns it found out about you and likes you and says, come over to my house. And you get to the house, and what he doesn't know is you hate him. And when you're there, he, he says, I gotta go out for a bit, and while he's out, you break anything you can break. You steal the things you wanna carry. You stain things that you don't wanna break or carry just to stain them because you hate this guy. Because you hate him. Because you hate him. And you destroy everything you can. Each act that you do is hostility expressed towards that man who's not even there. So it is with your sin. Anytime a human being sins, it is hostility against the God they do not see. You are made in the image of God. Other people are made in the image of God. And you are the enemy of the one who made you. And you're the enemy of his others. Jesus told a parable about this. And he said, look, a certain nobleman went off to the country. And he left ten servants to do business. And the citizens... They didn't want him to rule over them. So the citizens actually sent an emissary after the man and said, we don't want you to rule over us. 
Reminds me of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples of the earth plot a vain thing? They say to God, throw off his chains. The citizens said, we don't want you to rule over us. If you're going away, stay away. He returned, and then he reckoned with them, right? And you may have heard the story of the minas. He said, I gave you this many. You did this with them. I gave you that many. I don't want to talk about that part. But he, 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 he made things, you know, he rewarded those who were on his side. And when he got done handling all the citizens, then he said this. And this is Jesus. Luke 19, 27 says this. Ready? But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now Jesus does not tell this story because he likes imaginary stories. He told this story so you would understand that every human being who stands before God in his natural state, without apology, God will say, you did not want me to reign over you. He won't say, well, yeah, I never got to hear the gospel right. Or it's not my, no, you were wicked, you're dead. To be hostile to God is to, and that's what Paul says, or everyone whose mind is of the flesh, and that's everyone who doesn't know Christ as Savior. How politically correct is that idea, Paul? We're not even allowed to say that Muslims were motivated by Islam to blow things up. (laughs) And you're saying, I don't care if they're Muslims or not Muslims. If they don't love my son, they don't want me to reign over them and they never fix that problem because they hate me. And that's you too. If you think, if 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 you're not all in for Christ (laughs) and you think everything's going to be all right, It ain't all right. You are at war with God. He knows you're at war with him. And one day he will go ahead and settle the matter. And that leads us to the solution. What's to be done? Mike, you said humans are helpless. We're like cockroaches and and, and roadkill out in the backyard who can't raise themselves from the dead. The answer is God has to intervene for someone to get saved. God must be the one to replace death with life. The way people get saved is God says, I'm going to save you. Now you say, well, I don't have a part in it. Oh, you have a part, but your part comes after. First he says, I'm going to save you. And he says, hey, dead person. And you go, did I hear something? I can't hear that. I never heard that. God must be the one, the one to replace death with life, hostility with peace. Colossians 2.13 When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. There it is again, a different book. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All those sins, every one of them. But you're so holy, every one of them. How? Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. The law makes you guilty. That's decrees against us. He canceled out that certificate of death, which was hostile to us. Wait, that's interesting. So my sin was not only hostile to God, but it's hostile to me. That's right, it's death. The mind is, let's lead to my demise. And he's taken it out of the way. He's taken my old nature, my sin out of the way. Yeah, having nailed it to the cross. He didn't nail my sin to the cross. He nailed his perfect son to the cross. That's right. 
That's right. He gave what was most valuable to him to save those who thought he was least valuable to them. And the way it saves them is he goes, okay, you were a death machine. I'm giving you my spirit. Now you're going to transcend this world. Now you're going to change. In other words, my friends, transferring from the team you don't want to be on, those who are according to the flesh, to the team you do want to be on, those according to the Spirit, is possible. But you say, well, wait a minute. If I'm helpless, how can I gain salvation? Okay, here's where your part comes in. How and when God chooses to intervene in your life or anyone's life, that's up to God, not me. But I do know what it looks like when you get there. Because I'm going to give you two simple verses that show you. First one is Romans 10, 17. And hold on to this one because it's your life. This is... This is the umbilical cord from heaven. I don't know if that's a good picture. This is the the window of heaven that the springtime of the Spirit comes in. Maybe that's better. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Why does that matter? Because we're saved. We're helpless to save ourselves, so how can we be saved? By faith. And that word faith could be translated even better as trust. You're going to trust Jesus. Trust him to do what? To save you. Because I'm good? No, because he's good, and he died on a cross for you. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to trust him in all ways, not just of these truths, these abstract truths I learned, but I'm going to trust him like, like when you fall backwards and your friends catch you. I'm going to trust him with everything. I'm going to trust him with my everything. And you just, you let go. I trust him with everything. It's not mine anymore. I'm not in charge. <laughs> I want you. I didn't want you to reign over me. Now I do. That's what faith means. But it's a response. You don't initiate it. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit of the living God talks to you when I tell you Christ died for your sins. If you paid attention and you understood that God sent Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is right now telling you this is true. Now it's your turn to play. This is your chance. You respond. Because he just gave you what you needed. Right? Do you believe what I just said? Then call on his name. Respond. Show him that you've. How? Romans 10 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, he won't save me because I don't feel saved. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you got to feel saved. He won't save me because I've been bad. Well, he doesn't say that. Everyone can be saved. Why? Because you're no worse cockroach than I am. We're both horrible, disgusting cockroaches. He doesn't care. I mean, he does care, but I mean, he'll take you. <laughs> it's funny. Everyone thinks they're so righteous when they don't want to be saved. And when they want to be saved, they think, I'm not good enough. Well, stop it. Everyone. He's the saver. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here's what will happen to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That he is masculine, dominant language in the word of God. What are we going to do? Oh no, patriarchalism. Sorry, my soapbox. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, male or female, boy or girl, how could you be new? I look the same. Oh no, oh no, no, no. The guts have changed. Who you are has changed. You are a new creation. The old, gone. What's here? The new. Do you understand this message? Then it's time to surrender to him. The Christian says, well, I've understood this long ago. I got the spirit. Then identify yourself correctly. Then share this message that you're holding too tight to you. 
right? This is Gideon week at Harvest. <laughs> These guys going out to share the message. You know what Gideons want more than anything? Because I know a lot of them. They want more Gideons. Because Gideons have a way of just getting older. These guys are just, they just won't get young. They look kind of young. See them a few years later. Dang, you're getting old. I know. Well, give it away. Join them. You say, well, I don't want to be a Gideon. We don't have to be. You got a neighbor. Tell them. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, it doesn't depend on you, the deliverer, either. So deliver the news. Drag your friends to church. Tell them the gospel as best you can. But right now, I want to talk to anyone who's hearing my voice who has yet to give their life to Christ. I don't care if your mom knows it or doesn't know it. I don't care if other people think you have this between you and God. It's time. Surrender. If you have any impulse to surrender, that is a gift from God that he does not promise to give you. He's given it to you now because you're hearing the word. Take it. Take it. Surrender. I did. I did. And I... Trust me, there's a different dude in here. (laughs) There's a different dude in here. And my wife's happy about that because she knew the old dude. She was just looking at the cool-looking young man on the outside. She didn't know she was dating a cockroach-filled, disgusting sinner who hated God. (laughs) It's an upgrade. Have you received Christ? Don't wait another day. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.